Good morning to everyone at South Edmonton Church. And Dora and I certainly hope and pray that everyone in this congregation, all of your friends and your neighbors are doing well at this very trying time uh, in our lives. Uh, the sermon that I'm going to be delivering this morning is not really what you would call a positive and uplifting type sermon due to our circumstances. And yet I believe that there is a context that can be considered to be positive. And I believe that Wes McAdams states it best. I'm going to allow Wes to give us a context for what I'm going to deliver this morning. Wes is one of the ministers down in Nashville, and he had this statement on social media, and I would like to quote him before I begin the sermon. Wes states this, I've lost track of the number of people that I know suffering from COVID. Family, friends, and church family. Some at home, miserable and unable to be with those they love. Others in the hospital, fighting for their lives. As much as this reality pains me deeply, I remain thankful because our story is so much bigger than our present circumstance. Our current situation does not get to dictate the tone of our story. And I love that statement because, you know, our life is a story. We're part of a big story, the story of God. Ours is a joyful story, he states, a story of total victory. In spite of the chapter we're enduring presently, we must deal soberly with our current chapter while also keeping the whole story in mind. In so doing, we can rejoice because of what God has done in the past and what we know He will do in the future. The title of our sermon today is Seven Steps to a Nation's Downfall. Our text is the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea was written in the 8th century B.C., eight centuries before Jesus Christ was born. The nation of Israel, ruled by Jeroboam II, had reached the pinnacle of political and material and financial wealth. In all their history, they had never been richer. They had never had more food to eat. They had never had finer clothes to wear and greater houses in which to live. But it was a tragic day spiritually. It was a day of political and social and moral and religious corruption. It was a day when they had their summer houses and their winter houses, their great houses, and their ivory houses. It was a day when they drank wine out of bowls and anointed themselves with the chief oils, a day in which they stretched themselves upon beds of couches and ivory, and they sang idle songs to the sound of the violin, but they were not concerned about the wound of sin that had sunken deeply into Israel's heart. It was a day of ease, a day of luxury, and a day of idleness. And ease and luxury and idleness always leads to open sin. In Hosea 4, 1 and 2, there is no truth, nor goodness, nor knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and breaking faith, and killing and stealing and committing adultery. Violence breaks out and blood touches 
blood. It was a day such as that. And Hosea, a great man of God, was called upon by God to preach to the falling nation of Israel. I believe that Hosea outlines perhaps clearer than any other prophet the reasons for Israel's downfall and the reasons for any other nation's downfall. I would like for us to consider those reasons and see how they apply to us as a nation, as a church, and as individuals. First of all, Hosea states, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's Hosea 4 and verse 6. The very first reason that Hosea gives for Israel's downfall is the fact that they did not know God and they did not know the law of God. As God said in Hosea 8 and verse 12, I have given to them 10,000 things of my law and my love, and they count them as a strange thing. As Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, Stand ye in the way and see, and seek ye the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein. But they would not walk therein. They hearkened not. They did not incline their ear, but walk in their own counsels, and in the stubbornness of their evil heart. Hosea 4 and verse 16, God said of Israel, His people, they are like a stubborn heifer. A stubborn heifer. You know, we live in a society and in a generation that prides itself because of its smartness and cleverness and sophistication. And perhaps rightly so. We are the best read, best educated, and best informed people in history. But even though we are far advanced in all kinds of modern science and modern technology, and we know a lot about a lot of things in many fields of endeavor, when it comes to God and when it comes to the purposes of God, we are of all men most ignorant. And whatever else a man may know, if he does not know what God wants him to know, he is helpless and hopeless and undone. And that always leads to pride. And that's the second step to Israel's downfall. And it's usually the step that most nations take to their downfall. Pride. Hosea 5 and verse 5, The pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in their iniquity. Judah also shall stumble with them. What's the first thing you do when you fall? You stumble. And what causes you to stumble? Pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. In Hosea 10 and verse 13, Hosea said, You have plowed wickedness, you've sowed wickedness, and you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies, for thou didst trust in thy way and in the multitude of thy mighty men. Notice what he states, that you trust in your own way, and therefore you trust in the wrong people. You trust not in God, you trust in men. And if you bring that up to our day, you could very well say you trust in your scientists, your politicians, your military leaders, and everyone except me, God would say.
Hosea 7 and verse 11. Ephraim is like a silly dove without understanding. They call unto Egypt, and therefore they will go to Assyria. They were trusting in their allies. They were trusting in their military might and their power. And they were trusting in Egypt to deliver them. And because they were looking to Egypt, God said, you're going to go to Assyria. You're going to go into Assyrian captivity. And they did, as you know, in 721 B.C. Nations never learn their lessons, do they? They never learn their lesson. And that's why history repeats itself. Whether it be Egypt, whether it be Israel, or Judah, or Assyria, or Babylon, or Medo-Persians, or the, Assyri- or the, the Grecians, or ancient Rome. It seems that they never learn the lesson. Man thinks that he is his own God. And they never recognize the sovereignty of God. Think about the pride of ancient Egypt for a moment. When a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph, he enslaved the Israelites. And the Israelites were oppressed for a long period of time. And finally, as you know the story, God raised up Moses to deliver them. And he sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord God says to you. Let my people go. Pharaoh responded by saying, Who is this God that I should let these people go? Well, he's about to learn who this God is. And you know the story. During the exact time of this period, there was a certain historian who wrote of this time and spoke of Deuteros being the Pharaoh at this particular time and said that during his reign, God smote the Egyptians. Not God's smote the Egyptians, but God smote the Egyptians. They did learn who this God is that Moses is telling them about. There is archaeological and historical proof for the reality of the ten plagues that God sent on the unbelieving Egyptians in 1446 B.C. There is evidence for God's people being in Egypt. They've uncovered it from the ground in a city, an ancient city called Avaris in the land of Goshen where God's people ended up. And that evidence from archaeology in the ground tells us that there's a number of people who came into that land from Canaan, 75 in number. They grew to number a great multitude of people. And that city grew to number some twenty-five to 30,000 people. And they believe them to be Israelites. And they have found their Assyrian house like the Syrians would have built, like Abraham from Syria would have built, like his offspring would have built. And they found Joseph's palace that had 12 pillars representing the 12 sons of Jacob. And they found 12 tombs and memorials over the top of those tombs. And one of those memorials was a pyramid-type tomb, and inside was the statue of whom they believed to be Joseph. And he had on him a multicolored coat. And guess what? They found no bones in the tomb. And you know why? Because you know the story. His tomb, his bones were taken out of that tomb and delivered back to the promised land. There is evidence for slavery later. There is evidence for multiplication. There is evidence for their 
just getting up one night and leaving, abandoning the area. As you know, the last plague that God sent on Egypt was the death of the firstborn. God got tired of their lies. He got tired of their pride, their disbelief, their abuse of power, and their oppressive ways. God is an immutable God. He does not change. Malachi 3 and verse 6. And whatever caused God to take punitive action on an unbelieving people in days gone by, when that same situation occurs today, He will take similar action. He does not change because He is a holy God and He is a just God and He's a changeless God. Malachi 3 and verse 6. Richard Rogers states in his textbook on Bible History 1 that we've used at our school for a number of years. On page 250, Richard states, God will break the back of the unbelieving. And that's why you and I need to be believers in God. We need to trust in the Lord. And we need to trust in Jehovah that He doesn't have to bring upon us plagues and tragedy and disease and disorder as He did Egypt to get our love and our concern. Let us be about the Lord's business and let us be telling others about the Lord's mercy, His kindness, His love and His grace. Or the Lord will fling again the bloody finger of plague upon the earth. God's judgment on Egypt wasn't just for the sake of Egypt. God's judgment on Egypt was not simply against a specific, specific individual, and that is Pharaoh. It was against the entire world order. He doesn't simply want that Pharaoh dead. He wants to pass sentence upon the evil world. And later it will be the Assyrian world, it will be the Babylonian world, it will be the Medial Persian world, it will be the Grecian world, and it will be the Roman world. Hopefully it will not be the American world. But unless we repent, all of these worlds were shaped by God's that had been created by humans who had rejected the one true and living God. And therefore they lived in opposition to God's overarching purposes. What about our world today? What are we doing anything that's different? And are we following the same pattern? In the book of Exodus, God teaches us that He will not live at peace with such worlds. He will make war against rogue powers and bring them down. Now, back to Israel in the book of Hosea. Instability, number three. Hosea 6.4 O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as the morning cloud and as the dew that goeth early away. What a graphic illustration of instability spiritually. You go out of a morning and you see this low-hanging crowd or you see the thick fog as we've had this past week. And along about 10 o'clock, what happens when the sun comes out? It's gone. You go out of a morning, there's dew on the grass. And along about 10 o'clock, when the wind blows, the sun comes out. It's gone. It doesn't last very long. Such was Israel's goodness. 
They had good intentions, but it didn't last very long, and therefore they lacked stability. You know, sometimes churches lack stability. Such was the case with the church in Sardis. And when you read about those seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, you find out that their culture had gotten into the church. Such was the case in Sardis. And here's what the Lord Christ said to them, I know your works, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. And what is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come. He said, I'll pay you a visit. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so the Lord tells nations to wake up. And He tells churches to wake up. And He tells individuals to wake up or else I'll pay you a visit. Number four, worldliness. Hosea 7, 8, and 9, Ephraim, he mixeth himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers and foreigners have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, and he knoweth it not. He's grown old in sin and doesn't know it. And why? Because he's mixed himself with the peoples, the heathen, and become like them. So the figure here, when he says Ephraim is like a cake not turned, it's not talking about a layered cake. It's talking about a cake like a pancake that you lay on the griddle. And if you don't turn it over, you know what happens. It burns on one side and it's raw on the other. Here's a graphic illustration of being lukewarm or even cold toward God. Hot on one side, lukewarm or cold on the other. Half-baked, half-done, half-hearted, and half-religious. Perhaps you noticed after our election, as I did on the major TV networks, after the election, people were dancing in the streets and waving rainbow flags. It immediately reminded me of an ancient document concerning worldly people and worldly governments. In Ecclesiastes 10.5, there is an evil I have seen under the sun, Solomon said. The sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whatever Solomon had in mind, the thrust of the message is clear. Sometimes we involve ourselves in breaking down things that we feel are restrictions to us because we want our freedom, we want our rights, and so we involve ourselves in knocking down these restrictive walls Walls that we dislike intensely. Walls that we hate. But in so doing, 
we end up falling in our own pit. And so in so doing, we end up being badly bitten by a serpent. We do reap what we sow as a nation, as a church, and as individuals. And finally, idolatry. Hosea 13, 1-3. They fell into Baal worship. And Baal worship was the worship of prosperity and physical satisfaction without any limitation and without any restraint. Baal worship was the worship of prosperity and the worship of power. And it didn't matter about following God-given laws of morality and social justice. It was a day of lawlessness, immorality, and disregard for human life. Does that sound familiar? Seven steps to a nation's downfall. And what led to it? Lack of the knowledge of God, knowing God, pride, instability, worldliness, instability, and yes, deep corruption. Hosea 9 and 9. 9, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah, and he will remember their iniquity, and he will visit their sins. The days of Gibeah are equivalent to the days of sodomy and homosexuality, according to Judges chapter 7 through 20, 17 through 20. Just as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, God will eventually visit any nation that becomes absorbed in these sins. And my people backslide away from me, he says, in Hosea 11 and verse 7. What's the cure? The solution. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Remember the words of Wes McAdam. This is a story of which you and I are part. We're going through a chapter of it that's not pleasant. But for those of us who have embraced the Lord Christ, for those of us who have embraced Him and not our culture, everything's going to be okay. And the story is going to end well. And for that reason, you and I can rejoice. As Paul said, and again I say, rejoice. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you today. And God bless us.